Welcome to Madcasters. You have just tuned in to the difference makers of a new generation. If you're looking for that disciplined effort to change your life, or the inspiration to make a difference in your communities and the world, Madcasters, this is the launch pad for you to go mad. What's going on, everyone? It's your host, Brian St. Louis BSL, and I'm so excited once again to get this thing going. This is our second episode here from Madcasters, and I have a very special guest that I want to introduce to you all today. Uh, her name is KG, but I'm going to allow her to also introduce to you, um, to herself to you all as well. So thank you so much, KG. Thank you for being on our show, and welcome to Madcasters. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So like Pastor Brian said, my everyone calls me KG, but uh, my full name is Morun KG Olalaye. I am born and raised Nigerian. Uh, moved to Canada about 16 years ago for university and never left. So technically I'm Nigerian-Canadian, but I very much still identify as a Nigerian. Uh, I love Canada and Canadians, no disrespect. They're lovely <laughs> people. It's a great country. I've had a lot of success and uh, blessings here, but I, I I think it's important for uh, someone like me and for people in my generation. And when I say someone like me in my generation, I mean uh, uh, 21st century type educational slash economic immigrants to still identify with their home countries and try to bring awareness to important issues whilst still, you know, being happily and proudly Canadian as well. It's perfect. You're going to have to say your name again, just so everyone <laughs> knows this is how you say it. Yes. Because I know you as KG, but I still want to make sure I get the name right too. So say that one more time. It is Moro KG. Maroon KG. Oh, oh mercy. No. All right. Maroon KG. Maroon KG. All right, that's not bad. You know, um, I met a couple of Nigerians and they always they you know, some of them ask me, you know, are you are you Nigerian? And I was just like, nah, I'm from Haiti, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't know, maybe maybe it's it's a good thing or a bad thing. I I've I've actually from from the people in in, in the countries of Africa who I've connected with the most are people from senegal and from nigeria okay. so it's just yeah it's maybe. a compliment by the way okay. to be uh accepted into the nigerian fold hey, we are go. very patriotic and very <laughs> proud people okay and we do like to think of ourselves as unique and special so it's a compliment that we think you're nigerian or could be nigerian <laughs> there you go i'm gonna take that compliment then for sure <laughs> hey thank you very much again kg for coming on to our show um so madcasters as you all know is about making that difference it's about showing awareness to the things that are going on in this world um for people who are, who are taking those personal development but also those who are taking active measures to changing their communities and the world around them and so uh one of the things that has been going on in in nigeria there's been um quite a few protests that have been happening and uh, this is something that's very new to me. I didn't really know much. And so I had a conversation with KG in which she was able to explain a little bit more to me. But I also wanted to make sure that we can have our listeners and everyone able to hear uh, from uh, a Nigerian perspective from themselves and being able to understand uh, the importance as to why uh, we need to stand up with what is going on in Nigeria as well. And so, uh, KG, if you wouldn't mind just kind of 
giving us a little bit of history, a, a, an overview as to the importance as as why these protests are happening, and 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 we'll go into some other things as well, but especially the importance as to why this is happening right now. All right. Uh, thank you for having me here. Uh, so the protest that uh, Pastor Brian is uh, talking about is the hashtag NSARS protest. So just for a little bit of uh, background and context, SARS is an acronym for Special Anti-Robbery Squad. So it is a special uh, part of the Nigerian police force that was set up I believe in 1999, to fight anti-robbery cases in Nigeria. Uh, over the years, however, unfortunately, that uh, police unit, that police squad, has seen a lot of uh, disintegration in terms of its management and structure uh, and the training of the policemen that are assigned to this unit to the point where uh, things devolved to uh, members of this uh, anti-squad, anti-robbery unit harassing the citizens. There was a lot of stereotyping and profiling of citizenry going on. And just as an example, uh, it seemed, no, not it seemed, uh, the policemen of this unit were targeting younger people uh, between the ages of 18 and 32 that looked like they were affluent and mm. uh, well-to-do or that looked a certain way in terms of maybe having tattoos, piercings, or dreadlocks, uh, their belief or their argument is that these people look like they're up to no good and must have come across their possessions through less than honest means and therefore fall under the jurisdiction, I, I guess, of the uh, anti-robbery squad unit. So these people would be approached in their cars uh, on the streets at clubs, restaurants, wherever. Uh, just out of nowhere. Just out of nowhere. So so and one thing that sets uh, aside the SARS uh, police unit or anti-SARS police unit from regular policemen is that they got to interact with the citizenry without being in uniform. So they're plain clothed Mercy. police detectives. And in the beginning, the point of that was to you know, give them the element of surprise in catching criminals, okay. either in the act or after collecting evidence, just not to give themselves away and uh, put those sus uh, suspects on alert so that they could be easily arrested. But uh, over the years, like I said, they took advantage of this uh, privilege. And because they look like regular folk, they just accost people sometimes even without identifying themselves and just accuse them of, of things. So if you're defensive or if you're trying to get yourself out of that situation, they would term it as you resisting arrest or, you know, assaulting a police officer or just not being cooperative in some way, not conforming. And you would get arrested and taken to their station and uh, they would get harassed for money. It'd be like, okay, I either don't believe you or, you know, it doesn't really matter. I'm in charge. I have a gun. This is my job. I, I do suspect you of some type of crime just because you're too young uh, to own this car or own this type of laptop or own this type of iPhone. So you must have gotten the money through, you know, dishonest means. I mean, you're telling me you're just a student. So either you have a, you have really rich parents or you stole this money or, you know, 
or you're involved in some kind of internet fraud. So you know, their conclusion was, you're a bad person, I don't care, but you look rich enough to be able to pay me off. So it's Jeez. one thing to be a bad policeman and not do investigative, investigative work before arresting people. It's another thing to harass them for money. Right. Yeah, and it, it, it got bad enough that people would be taken to ATMs and forced to withdraw money. Just right, just right there. Right there. It'd be like, okay, because they would take your phone from you. They take your wallet. They take everything, you know, confirm your identity and who you say you are. And that way they can tell your age and by your postal code, your address, they could tell, okay, he's probably the you know, kid of some rich person mm -hmm. just because this looks like just an affluent postal so, code. Okay. So it'd be like, okay, uh, take me to your bank or take me to the nearest ATM and withdraw money if you want me to release you. And uh, it, it got bad enough that if you couldn't come up with the money or refused to, you would get held up at their station for days without being allowed to contact anyone so that they at least know where you are. So your family and friends are just sent into panic and worry. And then, you know, there's also evidence that some people were beaten. Some females were raped. Some people were killed and abandoned in swamps and other, you know, desolate areas. And uh, they really did become a menace to society. And we're talking about 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids. This is happening. Absolutely. Young people. Any Anything from 18 to, to 31, 32. 30. Yeah. So, so these these kids are being put into prisons, put into these jails, um, and families are not notified. No one is being notified of what's going on. They're just able to do this. And they have. do they have the power from the government to do this as well? Or was this... So they didn't have the power directed from the government to do that. Unfortunately, though, what the benefited from was a lack of checks and balances. So okay. they could do it and get away with it, basically, because okay. there was no one or it didn't seem obvious that there was anyone overseeing mm. their actions and kind of holding them accountable. So there have been some eyewitness reports from people who were kidnapped by the SARS police and eventually uh, got released where they would uh, where they reported that the these policemen would say, you know, I could kill you and no one would do anything about it. So so people did make. I guess they made a stand from before and, and individuals were stand, you know, showing what, what they've been through, but nothing happened. So like I said, uh, this, uh, police unit was set up in the, in, in 99 at the start okay. of the, our first democratic government. And, uh, the very first protest where, you know, there was a collective of people who got together and staged an actual, uh, protest was in 2017. Okay. And at the time, it, it 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 garnered some press and attention, but definitely not to the level that we experienced uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. Right. Uh, so the first uh, protest in 2017, and at the time, this police unit, by the way, was not called SARS. Okay. It had another name. I forget what it was, but uh, the government's response to that first protest that was staged was to disband and I'm saying this in air quotes, mm -hmm. was to disband uh, that unit at the time and reassemble it and rename it and uh, uh, 
So I'm going to back up a little and say that with the protest, the very first one, I think, was just the youth lashing out and trying to bring to the attention of the public okay. and the government what this police unit was doing. Mm -hmm. So it definitely didn't have as much structure as what we uh, had this year. But the intent was still the same, just to shed light on this public ill and get the government to do something about it. So we weren't intentional or specific about what we wanted them to do, but mm -hmm. we wanted them to fix it. Right. I we mean, 17 years uh, of just chaos. Uh, terror. So did it start that way? Let's say uh, no, in 99. Like, no, it, it definitely okay. did not start that way. I moved to Canada in 2005. And okay. between um, 99 and 05, I did not hear any reports of that happening. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the Nigerian police force has always been questionable in Fair their enough. actions. And they've always, or the society has always suffered from the lack of accountability that they have. So yes, did the police force as a whole, were they known for just generally harassing citizenry? Absolutely. Okay. But to the point where there was a special unit that was almost empowered mm -hmm. to seek out a few miscreants in society to the point where they took advantage of it and kidnapped and maimed and raped people. I was not aware of that. So it seemed to that disintegration seemed to have happened much later okay. and only got worse and then came to a head in 2017 with the very first protests. So the response that we had gotten from that protest at the time was, we're going to disband them and put them together again. They're going to come under a new name and we're going to manage them better and hold them more accountable. And uh, so they were disbanded. A new group was, again, in air quotes, put together. They were called another name, which I'm not, uh, which I, I'm not aware of, but uh, it was just a recycling that happened pretty much. Basically, you got rebranding. You got, it was rebranding. It's the same thing, it's just a different same name. Same thing, same people. No one. <laughs> was held accountable for the kidnappings and rapes that had happened. Nothing. That's terrible. So, of course, in 2018, barely 12 months later, we staged another protest to say, hey, they've actually gotten worse, believe it or not. Because I think what happened was uh, the... Uh, the police force felt con confronted. Mm -hmm. And just again, for a little bit of background and context, Nigeria was under military rule for almost 40 years. Okay, so before, this, is, this is before 1999? Uh, before 1999, okay. yes. So we gained independence in 1960. And okay. I think our first military rule started, I believe, in 1963, I want to say. Mm. So we do have a long history of military rule. So the armed forces, and when I say that, armed forces, security forces, so everything from even a traffic control person to a policeman to the Army, Navy, Air Force, they're they're a very militant bunch and they're used to being in charge. Okay. So they're not used to being questioned and definitely don't feel that they're accountable to anybody else, but they're like generals or direct superiors, anybody else in the military. So being confronted or asking for being asked for accountability by a civilian right. is just unheard of. So it's, they're just not used to it. So they didn't realize that they got millennials now. Yes. <laughs> and generation There's Z that's definitely not that generational for, gap. Yeah. And I, I 
do believe they struggle with it. There's yeah. a lot of resistance there and just a lot of resistance in accepting what the new normal is. Okay. Because not only now are they faced with this non-military world, they're now saved with these rather mouthy young people that's who, in their opinion, are just disrespectful. Right. I mean, that's what it always is. If you ask a question of why or if you try to stand up to anything that, that you know what, I don't agree with. It's it's this concept of you're showing a disrespect just because Absolutely. you're questioning their authority, authority. right? Absolutely. I mean, but nowadays, you know, certain cultures we have people who who were, you know, stuck in their in their cultural world and their mm-hmm. worldview. Um, but I mean, with the internet, with the, with, with social media, it's, people are seeing things in America and Canada and Europe. And so they're like, Yo, no, this talk is about a global village now. <laughs> now we really have a global village on there our you hands because you, you are bang on, Pastor Brian. A lot of Nigerian youths that have never even stepped out of Nigeria behave in a more Americanized way than some American kids in America. Jeez. <laughs> and by America here, I mean North America, yeah, so North US, America, Canada. Yeah. In fact, it doesn't even matter any part of the Western world, Europe, whatever, there's just so much interaction now and all those boundaries have been, you know, brought down. So it's like, well, the kids in the UK and the US and Canada and Australia, New Zealand, whatever, they, they this is what they do and they get away with it. So why can't I? How am I so different? So a lot of Nigerian youth identify with fellow youth worldwide and feel that there should be just a, a a, a level playing field in terms of how they interact with older people. So be it their parents or uh, figures of authority. We just feel now in Nigeria, very empowered to challenge things that we disagree with. It's accountability. There you go to say, I no longer what you, I no longer want to do what you tell me to do, but what I see you doing. So for you to earn my, for you to be respected, you have to earn that respect fair, yeah, fair and enough. you have to practice what you preach. Yeah, I, I mean, I. Th- this is the way in which the world is going, right? I mean, we have, like we talked about, we As have the, the the youth right now who are not standing up, or, or sorry, who are, are standing up and not standing down just because it's an elder or just because it's someone who's older than you. Right. And so I know what I'm talking about right. because I'm old and I'm wise, quote unquote. Mm. And so now they're they're put in a position that where they have to listen to these youth Absolutely. who are and I mean, let's be real. This is not just oh, I want to go to college for um for for no for, you know for free or something of the sort. I want free healthcare. This is your life. Just they're fighting for their lives. Basic security. I want to feel safe in my own country. I want to feel safe on the streets in front of my home. Right. And I want not to be accused of things that are not true <laughs> and cannot be proven and to be honest are just downright ridiculous I mean, right. how crazy is it that you get arrested for the type of cell phone or ipad that's, or that's laptop that you own it's ridiculous or for wearing tattoos or dreadlocks that's insane it's madness i mean you, you throw it back to how i mean you know being dreadlocks or having dreadlocks was like an evil thing for for certain cultures Absolutely. you couldn't have you know, especially as a man, you couldn't have long hair. Right. You know, so there is so many of those cultural um, traditions mm-hmm. that people are now breaking out of. And, you know, even now, you know, we have people who are showing their professionalism while still having Absolutely. dreadlocks. But we're, 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 we're changing in this world. And, 
and you got to be able to change with it. But still, to the like to the point that I want that that you're making, and I just want to emphasize here, they're not fighting for some extracurricular um, or or something something even outside of of their natural human right. They're just fighting for their lives. They're, we're talking Basic about basically right to be alive. Yeah, we're talking about kids <laughs> who can't walk around now without looking, let's say, dope or looking um, lit or right. <laughs> you know or uh, and. You know, or as the young kids say today, is they got that drip on, you know. So I haven't heard that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. the drip. It's the drip now. So, but you got people who are literally just like they're just fighting for their lives. For you have people lives. who are like fighting not to get raped, not to get killed, not to be treated with with this type of intent. And so, you know, sometimes not I to look, be oppressed really be oppressed. in their own land, right? It's and so, I, you know, I sometimes question, is this, um, you know, because we look at America, right? And we look at what's going on in the States, especially, and how police brutality is such a problem, mm. especially for the um, for the, uh, the African-American, the black yeah. community. And then, so, but I'm looking at this and I'm like, hey, it's your own people. So this, it seems to, it seems to me that there there is just an, there's also, because you can't negate the racism that is clear mm. in America. Right. But- there's with the racism is there a police brutality issue right right that's happening because we saw cases of of that like let's say that white kid who who got shot in the hotel room while he was trying to follow every single order right it was a it was a white caucasian male young young male hmm. and a caucasian cop but right now we're looking at uh nigeria and it's it's police brutality towards your own your own people your, your own you know, kid black and kin yeah yeah so so is this so is this police brutality issue um, is this new to Nigeria or is this something that's been going on for quite a quite some time unfortunately now? it's not new like okay. I said because of the military history that we have it, it's always been a part of the fabric of uh, our society but over the years it's gotten worse by the increased economic hardship of the country so i doubt very much that the police force have had a salary review in decades so you're talking about a group of of of, of people trained to protect the citizenry that are not getting proper training just cuz the administration of the police force has uh, fallen below any kind of imaginable or sensible standard. So mm-hmm. there's that. So there's a bureaucratic problem there where their superiors are just not prior. They're not prioritizing uh, things properly. And then, like I mentioned, the increased uh, economic hardship that right. is very much into with just global inflation all over the place. So it's made that much worse in a place like Nigeria. So you have a lot of policemen just having a really deplorable standard of living and quality of life. I mean, what I've garnered so far in my very, very light research is that they do not have a proper pension plan, for instance. They don't have any benefits. So, you know, healthcare benefits, dental benefits, nothing like that. There is no provision for them in terms of continuous improvement of their careers. So retraining or just, you know, advanced training, nothing like that. So you have these really ill-equipped men and women let loose on society to maintain law and order. So not only are they not held accountable and are they not seeing their superiors even obeying these laws themselves, they're not 
they have no incentive to be mm. good policemen and women. They're poorly paid and they're not even regularly paid at that. So, so it's it's a recipe right. for disaster mm. exactly. It's like you 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 equipped angry men and women with I guns. See. So now they've kind of turned on the citizenry and the protector has become the attacker. That's now. crazy. That's crazy cuz at least here in Canada, you know, um some of the pay that the, the police officers have is is quite well, you know. They can they can live very well off of Absolutely. off of a police um salary and their income um, and their pension plan is also great as well i know the states um there are some well i wouldn't say that the states have great salary for for their <laughs> um for their police officers some right. of them do depending on i think which county you live on or whatever or, or state um but the police force is just funded like just it's well funded it's crazy. a well respected yeah. part well, of society right respected in a sense because well. right now we're seeing i mean <laughs> but let's be real you like you said you get the respect as you deserve the respect Absolutely. and so a lot of people right now yeah. yeah a lot of people right now are going against the police because police have not been on our side but i mean we're looking at this you have people who are not basically in poor conditions in their home they're not well able to really feed their own families. Mm -hmm. They're just mad. They're just they're continuously upset with their own circumstances. Mm -hmm. So they're just taking it out Absolutely. on their own civilians. So could, could you imagine like a middle aged uh, policeman who has been on the force for at least two decades, mm. who sees a kid on the on the street? Dang, you okay. know the 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 same age as probably his own child, right? Carrying an iPad or laptop or a cell phone that is worth six months of his salary. That's crazy. Of course he's angry. That's crazy. Of course he doesn't care where you got it from. In his mind, the only justification he needs to lash out at you is to call you a criminal so that he has carte blanche to attack you or just, you know, oppress you or just, again, lash out in some way, vent. So how are some of these kids making making this type of money? I mean, the truth of the matter is a lot of them are from fairly affluent homes, so they can afford it. Uh, at least every Nigerian has a close family member in diaspora. So some of them are gifted these, you know, fancy things by their family members abroad. And some of them are, honest to God, hardworking Nigerians who, young people who, made that money on their own. Some of them are bloggers. Some of them are graphic designers. So they have side jobs aside from, you know, being a university student. They have things that they're doing on the side. I mean, with the internet and uh, technological advancements, you can do anything right now. Absolutely. You know, online, all you need is a computer and Wi-Fi That's right. That's and right. you're good to know and you're good to go. So a lot of them are actually making money through honest means are some of them you know scamming and, and everything else oh, well? we definitely have that okay and but i think um in in and to you know give some kudos to the police force they've done a fairly respectable job of clamping down on that now okay. have they gotten rid of all the nigerian princes out there absolutely not those emails are <laughs> definitely still going out i've received of, uh... a few in my time for sure but there's now so much awareness 
mm. on that type of crime. And there's so much, you know, effort being focused in on that, that it has type. It, it has kind of reduced the activity in that area or at okay. least forced them to be more careful. Fair enough. So, but th there's been a little bit of cleanup. Unfortunately, though, it's been overshadowed by uh, the backlash that has come now yeah. on innocent citizenry. So. I'll never forget. Um, I mean, I watched The Office and, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I remember when they were roasting Michael Scott, oh, Pam, uh, Pam was like, Oh, he's supporting 20 Nigerian uh, princesses. <laughs> and he was like, they need my money or something. Oh my I started dying. Oh, my goodness. But I, I received those emails, you know, from, from time. And and so it was a real issue. They they tried to find a way to, to fix the problem. Right. But clearly, it has gone overboard. It kind of backfired. Yeah. It, 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 this was, I believe, an unintended consequence. Mm. And it's generally what you get when there's no system in place, where there, there are no institutions to hold people accountable and to maintain some kind of structure and allow room for advancement and continuous improvement. But, and this speaks to a larger Nigerian problem, just not right. the police force. So so that's why I was going to ask, why, why is there no checks and balances with the police force or with SARS right now? And by the way, I find it very interesting. I remember when I first heard the name SARS, right? right. I was... I was kind of confused because I was like, um, you know, how do you end a, a, a virus? Right. <laughs> and and I so I really had no idea mm. what was happening. So when I started doing my research, I realized it was actually um, for the for acronym police, was for something for, else. It was for police yeah. force. What was the acronym again? Do you special? So it's a S A R S special anti robbery squad. Okay, special anti robbery. And squad. the hashtag is end. The special so, yeah. anti-robbery squad. We don't okay. want them anymore. Right. Type of thing. So not just rebranding them, right? No, not it, just it, changing their names. So you know what? I'm, I'm going to back up a little just to finish like the evolution of the movement. Okay. So like I said, the first big one was 2017 and we only got a rebranding. Yeah. We came back in 2018. Same response. Another rebranding. Yeah. Uh, in 2019. Uh, that was when it got, no, okay. So 2018 was when it got rebranded to SARS. Okay. And then 2019, it got rebranded to F SARS, which, which is just federal special oh anti robbery squad. And, you know, they were supposed to, uh, they, they were supposed to be better managed and held under more accountability and just being managed by a higher level of government. Okay. But again, that did not happen. And with each year, the seem the new outfit that was set up seemed to come back even more vicious than the previous one. Wow. And which was why in 2020 we got more organized. Okay. And this time around we went out with more specific intentional mandates that are called the five for five. And um, if you Google hashtag NSARS, uh, that's the first thing that comes up. But off the top of my head, one of the asks uh, one of the five demands was just to put uh, proper remuner remunerations in place for the police to uh, call to book all the officers mm -hmm. that uh, have been found guilty of either kidnapping, raping, harassing, killing, just, you know, criminalizing uh, their victims. 
Uh, and then I, I forget what the other three are, but now we were more intentional and specific about what we wanted. So which was why when the government came out again to say, okay, we're going to disband FSARS mm-hmm. and we're going to come up with SWAT. We're like, <laughs> okay, we, we've seen this episode before. Yeah, and SWAT is better, right? it, Yeah. <laughs> at least now it no longer sounds like a virus. Yeah, fair and it, it, you know, it, there's a lot of uh, similarity to an American uh, police unit as well because we have the SWAT team like yeah, the snipers the and stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, I guess yeah they were hoping that that name would lend it some kind of cre- uh, credibility. credibility to and say hey just helping. like in the US no. we now have SWAT Don't and we promise we promise they're going to be better and we're like it's not about them being better now we're not just reporting you know, bad behavior of the police. Now we are requesting and demanding a police reform. Mm. Like the whole thing. Like we understand that the citizenry have become victims of the police. Mm -hmm. But when you take a more holistic look at everything, the policemen themselves are victims here. They're big, they're victims of bad governance. If they were better, you know, administered and better managed, they would not have to resort to the type of lowly things that they do. If you pay a policeman well, give him proper training, help him to have more confidence in what he's doing, Mm -hmm. he would not resort to forcing you to an ATM Mm. to extort money from you. So I find it very interesting. um, As you talked about the five points, I I did, I was able to, to, to see that as well. And what, and so the five points, just for all those listening, is release of, of arrested protesters, right. justice for victims of police brutality, prosecution of police bad eggs, which is necessary, right? Mm-hmm. The retraining of mm-hmm. ex-SARS members and police salary increase. Mm-hmm. I find it so interesting that these five points right. are being, are being um, put up in this way because not only are they asking for... Um, Justice. For for justice, yeah. right? For those who have been mm-hmm. mistreated, victimized, and victimized, right? But they're also saying, "Hey, look, fix the problem the, in the police, the root cause, yeah, because the victimization amazing. is just a symptom, right, of a much deeper problem." So let's even start first by a police reform where they're right. trained better, treated better, paid better, and now let's see if they'll still, you know, continue, right. Yes. So wow, and you know what? That that's so that's so. I I think that's very powerful. I think that's so um, concise as the, as a younger generation asking for these things, because you know a lot of people think that young people don't really understand certain right. things well, or or they you know they're asking for crazy demands, mm-hmm. but they're literally showing you that they understand even yeah. root issues Absolutely. as to why we're seeing. Absolutely. So it's called the iceberg effect, right? Absolutely. We're seeing this. This is yep. what you see, but. But these are all the things that you are not seeing, Beneath and this is water, what's causing right? the thing that you see right now. Absolutely. And so they're trying to dig deep into yeah. the roots. No, of we're the, a smart bunch. That's, that's amazing. Do not be fooled by the tattoos and the piercings that's and the facts. dreadlocks and fancy <laughs> pose. We got it going on up in there. That's And facts. I think that's uh, something that was new right. for the older generation because you are right. We do suffer, especially in Nigeria, from that stereotype of just being an unserious, entitled, selfish mm. generation that don't think things through. But I think this movement really showed them that we get it. We get what the problem is. And we may we may have a different approach mm-hmm. and way of expressing uh, our concerns, but we definitely understand the problems. And, and, and we have good ideas and innovations about how to fix them. 
So, so now coming back to the protests that happened here just a couple of weeks ago, we right. we we saw it on the internet, we mm-hmm. saw it on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, but then in the midst of all of that, mm-hmm. we saw the clash. Right? right, people were getting shot. Right, and so. Um, so we now know that there's at least, you said there's at least 12 at, people At confirmed. least 10 to 12 people. 10, 12, okay. that, those are the numbers that seem to be floating around. So uh, There just, could be more. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, uh, so October 20th, the, the day of the massacre, which has now been tagged Jeez. the Lekki Toll, the Lekki Toll uh, massacre, because uh, the protest was staged at uh, the Lekki Toll Gate, mm-hmm. which is uh, a big hallmark of commercial activity in Lagos. Okay. So the youth felt that it was an appropriate place to stage the protests and um, make their voices heard. And like I said, at the start of this year's NSARS pro- uh, protest, it was the same response again from the government of, okay, we're going to disband FSARS and we're, we, we've now come up with SWAT. So, okay, good for you. Everybody go home. We heard you. Mm. And we, you know, uh, pushed back to say no, unlike previous years where we were not specific about what we wanted these are our demands the five for five Mm -hmm. and we're not leaving until we start to see you take proactive steps towards accomplishing these objectives we understand that some of them are short-term fixes and some of them are going to take a little bit longer but as a show of good faith we need you to we need to see you taking some action. So for instance, maybe start to arrest and arraign some of these uh, guilty policemen mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, get that judicial process started. We have all the evidence that you need. You have all that evidence because yes, we've shared yeah. it with you in the past, which was why we felt the need to stage this protest again this year to just lend our voice to a more public uh, platform and really force accountability from the whole lot of you. So, uh, so even though on day three we got the response from the government saying we've disbanded uh, FSARS and named it SWAT, go home. We're like, we're not leaving until you start to take some proactive steps. And so we continue to do that. And I believe on day 10 or day 11, which was uh, uh, October 20th, yeah. the the response, because, uh, so the response was um, a whole bunch of uh, security Jeez, officials uh, came out there with guns and uh, there was a shootout and uh, we we suffer the loss of casualties, lots of injured people still receiving treatment at the hospital. I'm aware and have read uh, verified news reports of two people that, you know, succumbed to their injuries and died afterwards of the shooting. And it was just really disappointing because like I said, we uh, embarked on a a democratic government in in 1999. So 21 years ago. And, uh, we as the youth felt so disappointed because it took us back to a very dark place mm. before when we were still a mil- military rule before uh democracy in 99 mm. where you know there were coups and coup d'etats and there right. were a lot of uh, military protests and just a lot of violence it's almost like a mini civil war type environment and it just took us back to that really dark place and it was even more heart-wrenching that in peacefully protesting and just making our feelings and demands known to the government that this was the type of response that we would get we were even more scandalized to realize that they were bold enough to do it on a global platform 
Because by day 11, we'd gotten the attention of yes. the world. Yes. I mean, you had everything from international government figures like Joe Biden and uh, Hillary Clinton and the Obamas <laughs> to celebrities, Beyonce. Everyone right. was, you know, so chanting getting... and stars. So it was getting a lot of attention. Okay. And just, you know, the, the effrontery of our government, you know, giving that kind of response, it was really, really heartbreaking and uh, of course the casualties too i mean that's one person too many right already so it, it, it was it was sad that's so you know i as i was you know looking at everything that was going on i didn't see anyone that was acting in any robust or let's say unpeaceful mind um or or way in 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 the protest i dare to say that up until the 20th of october Probably the most peaceful protests of that scale that had been staged not only in Nigeria, but across diaspora by Nigerians. Wow. There was just this level of organization and in, intention. Mm -hmm. And it was just brilliant. I've never been prouder to be Nigerian. We, so in, in Calgary alone, we had two marches, one in front of City Hall, mm -hmm. and then uh, the second one uh, at the uh, Peace Bridge, uh, Princess Island Park. I attended the one at uh, City Hall, and I did a reading of the names of the uh, victims of um, the, the SARS brutality mm -hmm. that had been suffered over the years. And I was just really proud to be a part of that movement and just to see that level of organization and coordination uh, by Nigerian youth and also the support that we got from members of the local communities that we've now become a part of. A lot of my non-Nigerian friends came out in support either by tweeting the, the NSARS uh, hashtag or even coming out and marching peacefully with us right. at these two locations. And it was the same report that I got from friends that I have in the UK, in France, in Ireland, in Germany. Wow. It was in Germany. So, it, it was so awe-inspiring. Wow. Yeah. So this kind of like hit, you know, how Black Lives Matter, the movement, um, started going all over the world. You know, I think in even South Korea, there were people who were marching. In I, Iran. In Iran. <laughs> when I saw that, was I was so just, impressive. in Australia, yep. I was just like, wow, this, the world is not wanting to see the degradation and the mistreatment of black people anymore. So this happening in Nigeria. So now you're telling me that um, it, they continued their their support not just for American uh, issues and, and American Absolutely. injustice, but Absolutely. now for Nigerian injustice. Absolutely. That is so. It, you know what? I, I and the reason why too, I wanted this to be so uh, so expounded on, and, and for people to hear what actually is going on, the history behind it, and everything, is because I felt. I remember when I when I posted on my my Instagram, I felt like Man, I don't know enough. And I was trying to do some research, and I and I was doing enough research to to, to get a good understanding at right. least. But it makes a difference hearing it from someone who understands it yeah. in, in the core, and to hear your take on on everything, and to also hear that you took a stand and here in Calgary because you can't be in Nigeria right now, right. but you did your your due diligence right, right here. Right. This is what we're talking about, people. When we're saying making a difference, when you're willing to support or to stand for something greater than yourselves, because 
Uh, one of the things that I, I think is a problem in our world right now, we don't really have worldviews. As mm-hmm. much as people say we have a worldview, we don't have a worldview. We have a home view. It, it's so centered into our box, our specific community, right. and we and we want people to pretty much see it the way we see it. Mm. But a worldview allows me to see your perspective in Nigeria, my friend's perspective in China, my friend's perspective in Russia, Absolutely. in Europe, in America, in the Caribbean, in in South Africa, in wherever you are, right? And being able to realize how we're bringing this whole concept of, of humanity together. Absolutely. And so th- this is why for all those who are listening right now, you you might not necessarily be affected by this. You're not you're not hit by this. You might not even have family or even friends who are affected by this. However, we are all brothers and sisters in this world. Absolutely. We are a human you're your race. Brother's keeper. Yeah. yeah. And so because it hits one person, it should affect it, it should touch you in some way, shape, or form to understand at least why people are doing the things that they're Absolutely. doing. So, I, I would like to interject really quickly here yeah. that it's about time that we you know stopped viewing this as political issues but yes. just as human issues yes. and we should all be humanitarian we should all be freedom fighters you do not have to be directly or personally affected by this yes. to lend a voice to it and to you know speak out against it because inevitably we affect each other you might not feel the pangs of it now mm-hmm. it could be 30 years from now or it might not even be you at all it might be your child or, you know, your cousin or just someone further down the line. But it behooves all of us just on the basic level of being a human being to be able to feel the pain of others and to be able to speak out against it and contribute in whatever way, shape or form. Nothing's too much, nothing's too little, but right. contribute to seeing that act that evil or immoral or anti-human act being brought to an end yeah man that's i mean that's very beautifully put i i i resonate with that i i I think we need to come out of our of our zones our comfort zones and and see what is what else is happening in the world around us because only then and there will we actually truly have a heart of compassion to care so with with what's going on with SARS, what's what's next? You know, like what what do what what are the the young people? Are they organ? And I know they're organized in a sense, but who's like their leader? That that's and and so that kind of I think brings us to the next phase because what has happened with this year's and SARS movement is that it evolved into something bigger than police reform. Mm. It became about bad governance. It became okay. about you know accountability. It became about forget the right to be alive. I want the right to proper education and you know all the things that we suffer on a structural and uh, fundamental level. So SARS now has kind of become the pilot program to address all not all the ills, but most of the 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 biggest issues that are facing the Nigerian youth and the Nigerian society. So uh, with the unfortunate events of October 20th, it's given the youth an opportunity to regroup and kind of re-strategize and hit the restart button. So right now the protests are no longer happening, but it's not because anyone has given up. It's just because it's uh, given us time to mourn 
the uh, unfortunate loss of all the people that we lost, right. uh, the dead, their families, and also the injured that are still fighting for their lives in right. hospitals. It's also given us an opportunity to do an autopsy of the way that this year's movement is especially was planned out and implemented and just to, you know, look at areas where we can very clearly improve upon and do better. And then I think to put a face to the movement, because one of the most unique things about this movement is there was no leader or leaders. It didn't have a face. The face of NSARS was the face of the Nigerian youth. And then it became the face of everyone who tweeted about it or talked about it. It just, it just had this anonymous face where it's, I'm talking about SARS, not necessarily because I was directly affected by it, but because I'm standing up against all right. the things that unfortunately SARS had become. And that was great in forming that sense of unity and, and camaraderie. But when it came, when, from my perspective as someone who is an insider, but kind of spectate, spectating on right, events right. in Nigeria, um, one of the failings, I think, of the movement that created a, a, a crack and a weakness that allowed, you know, unfortunate elements to step in and then, you know, tear everything to shreds was when we had gotten the attention of the government and it came time to come to the negotiation table and, 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 and have a conversation, a dialogue and try to be proactive about implementing, um, some of our demands. Because it didn't have a face and proper representation, there was no one that government officials could turn to to say, we've heard you. Now we're going to go into the inner room and have a conversation with your leaders because we had no leaders or at least no one who wanted to own up to the leadership. So it was like we got their attention. And when it came time to dialogue, we were forcing the government to have a dialogue with a mob of people. Were, were, were there people afraid to stand up as leaders? No, I, I don't think it was fear. I okay. think I suspect that we probably did not think that far. Okay. I, I, I think we were just so impassioned by the right. rage we were feeling and right. just by wanting to go a step further than we had done with the previous protests that I don't think we thought as far as what happens when we get their attention and we force them to the negotiating table because that had never happened before. And then, and then it happened and we weren't prepared for what to do. <laughs> yeah. And I, it, and I, 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 it, I don't think it was a good time for the facilitators or people kind of leading the organization of everything to then, you know, come out and say, here we are, speak to us. Right. So I think that we were not prepared. And I also think there was a level of just trying to protect ourselves because like I said, we have a history of military rule. Mm -hmm. And so we have a history of having freedom fighters and all of that stuff. And we saw the way they were treated. Right. You know, a lot right. of them were kidnapped or somehow silenced, disappeared, exiled. And I just don't think we were ready for that or just not ready to put ourselves at that level of risk. We okay. we are a generation and we believe we're living in a time where we can achieve a lot of these positive results without necessarily sacrificing the lives of the people at the forefront of it. Right. And then we really just wanted every Nigerian youth to have a sense of ownership, right? which is great. But then no leadership is just as bad as leadership. bad leadership. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's one of the painful lessons that were learned from that. But moving forward, now I think there's going to be 
better representation, more okay. structure around it, so that when we do get to the point of negotiating, we have, you know, the right people that are in place to have that conversation and to speak, you know, in the best interest of the the people. The, the, the people. That's crazy, man. So, well, that's, uh, and you know what, though? It, though there was uh, a mishandling of, right. of leadership in that mm-hmm. sense, there was still something being done, Absolutely. and and people were willing to to, to step up to their yeah. to the plate, dedicate no their matter, time, right. their efforts, their energy, and even put their lives at put risk. Lives still, because yeah, let's not forget, COVID is still happening. Yeah, y'all. that's fair. Oh, that's <laughs> you know, <true>. so, <laughs> we tried to do our best with you know physical distancing right. guidelines in place and just taking time off work, school, whatever we're doing, just to you know be part of this great collective and. The events of the 20th of October aside, it was a success in right. that we, we, we did get the attention of the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, panels have been set up nationwide in each state to call to book any uh, ex-SARS official that okay. is found guilty of uh, any type of victimization or That's brutalization. Really um, I was uh, hearing on Nigerian news the other day that, um, the, the and I'm not sure if it's the minister of finance, but someone highly placed in that government parastatal as a show of support to the NSARS movement has made a pledge not to sign off on a 2021 budget that does not include an upward review of police force remuneration, you know, and now about. there's another panel that has been set up to uh, for the retraining of uh, the Nigerian police force. And there's a call out now to people, both in the public and private sector, who, you know, has any experience or expertise in, uh, you know, security force training and, you know, things like that. So compared to the previous movement, or this was this, this was, was a not success. Ha- yeah. this was this a, was like more of a way success. Be- okay, awesome. Yes. We've gotten the attention. We've gotten the government to be more proactive. We're mm-hmm. actively seeing them doing that. I think now we're probably at the point where uh, we're trying to regroup and and come up with an appropriate milestone timeline mm-hmm. to say, okay, if in ninety days or one hundred and twenty days we do not start to see the impact of this on the streets and people are not, you know, reporting a general sense of security and just feeling better about the police force than they did five months ago or six months ago, we are going to come back and restage, you know, just in, in, in line with accountability and just in moving forward. Because like I said, it speaks so much more to than just police reform. And what it's going to be is really just a pilot program to address the other ills in the Nigerian society and just how they're structured and uh, the checks and balances put in place to uh, be able to hold them accountable and uh, to give room for continuous improvement and advancement. Uh, historically, Nigeria has a, a history of of not being able to hold the government government parastatals accountable. Mm. And I think it goes to the foundation of how these uh, offices were set up to start with. I, I think it was just at the time, because we were so early on in governance and democracy, it was just, you know, checking a box to say, oh, okay, now we have a department of social services and we set them 
up and just kind of walk away. Mm-hmm. So that maintenance culture, that culture of continuous improvement and advancements and just keeping up with the times in that particular industry or sector, I think we're just starting to imbibe that. And uh, luckily, Nigeria has is very rich in human resource as well as natural resources. So we definitely have the skill set yeah. to be able to equip those offices with and staff those offices with and just, you know, and we have a young enough uh, population. That's that, right. You know, they're so eager about keeping up with the times and remaining competitive, even on a global level. So I think the future looks really bright and we are trending in the right direction. Uh, and the NSARS movement happens to be the start of that. I, I think awesome. I, I mentioned earlier, Nigeria has a plethora of problems. I think mm-hmm. like any society, Maybe, but you're right. Nigeria may be more than most. And it's really difficult, you know, even with a holistic view to decide which issue to address first. Mm. But I think because this one really just touched a, 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 a part of humanity that everyone can relate to. That's right. Leaving your home in the morning for work or school and not returning because a policeman <sighs> arrested you for being in possession of a particular type of laptop or a cell phone. Or looking I mean, good. Like, it was looking man, good, looking fly, looking like a celebrity. And, that's crazy. You know, they just thinking it's taboo and then they criminalize that. That's why SARS had to be the first port of call. But again, like I said, hopefully it's just a pilot program to the start of even greater reforms so that That's in the awesome. end and it, 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 it's a marathon it's not right. a sprint so however many years that it takes hopefully we can leverage technology and just globalization to move that train even faster and move it forward quicker but however many years it takes it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and i'm so proud to be a part of it from the beginning and at this type of grassroots level and hopefully it grows and we can use that as a template for any other country in any other part of the world right. that is in dire need of reform right. in some area. So what can what can I do? What can <laughs> um, you know a, a person who's not from Nigeria right. or from Nigeria but can't mm-hmm. be there right mm-hmm. now? Like what can the people do right now to make that difference? To make that how like bring them that change? Creating awareness. Educating mm. people on what SARS is and what they're about. And so this podcast, basically. This podcast, basically. <laughs> I was going to say you're doing it right now. You're 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 trending in the right direction. That's right. Yes, but I found myself having to educate people mm-hmm. at the spa, getting a mani pedi, and you know, I let it. We started chatting whilst waiting for nail polish That's to dry, right. and uh, we could be chatting about COVID and then, oh, where are you from? I'm from Nigeria. Oh, yes, I heard about this SARS or something. And then just have that conversation, that, you know, five-minute elevator pitch to educate them Mm -hmm. on the really important uh, concept of SARS, what we're about, and ultimately what we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And uh, doing that, so I've had to do that on several levels, like I said, in the supermarket, at the spa, and even with a lot of my family members. And right. uh, that speaks more to the generational gap. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, 
with my parents and a lot of their friends and, you know, grandparents or great uncles and stuff, they don't really get it. Mm. They're not really aware. And really? I think it's because they're not directly impacted by okay. it. And also there's that confusion and slight right stereotyping yeah. exactly of, oh, you young people complain right. about everything back in our day when we had to just let anybody with, do whatever yes, they wanted with to do stones anyway. And wood. I mean, you guys have phones now, so right. you have it good. And we're like, no, <laughs> this is not even, please, you know, don't right. lose focus here. It's not even about the phones. It's about a societal right. bill. And like, you know, in their time, they were adults yes. doing the military rule. Mm. So again, coming from a culture that is completely anti-challenging authority. Yes. Yeah. And then when you militarize that, a lot of them were not empowered enough right. to have a voice and, you know, to speak up. Things are completely different now, several decades later. So yeah. just trying to bridge that gap and bringing them up to speed with what we're doing, why we're, do why we're doing it, why it's important and how they can contribute in their own way as well by educating other folks in their generation. That's yeah. awesome. And and so, you know, I mean, you you were able to once again stand up and speak as well uh, in Calgary. Yeah. So if there's anything else that people are doing in Calgary or in Toronto or in New York, wherever you are, yeah. in whichever city, whatever country, people can, can support, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we've, we're so privileged in this generation that we have this social media platform that has made that so easy, right? It's made that so easy, so convenient. You are two clicks away from getting information about anything. I mean, I was just, you know, trying to recall mentally the five for five demands and you were able to throw it up <laughs> in two seconds, yeah. right? So I'm glad because I'm not huge on social media, okay. but I finally appreciated the reason for it. And I finally found my voice mm. uh, uh, through it. I Because of the NSARS movement, I opened my very own Instagram account oh, wow. just, what, three just... weeks ago? <laughs> Up until then, I had resisted. I'm like, I'm not right. going to drink the Kool-Aid. I'm not going to join Twitter or right. Instagram because I'm not about that life. And I, you know, I'm not taking photos of the gram or anything like that. And it's all fun and games. And, you know, I'm just being facetious. It's, it's right. okay to do that. And that I don't care to share is <laughs> neither here nor there. It's not important. But, I, but for even someone like me who is more socially laid back. Right, right. I'm happy that I was finally able to leverage those platforms, yeah. you know, towards that cause and it had the desired effect and that also that multiplier effect as well to just keep passing it on, sharing the tweets, resharing them, sharing videos and all of that good stuff. So, you know, it's it's been a lot of good has come out of this pain, I think. That's awesome. Uh you know, KG, once again, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Um this this was a lot of information, a lot of good understanding for what we like the history behind it, why we need to understand what it means to us now and how we can make a difference today. Absolutely. And uh, so your wisdom, your understanding your knowledge and your impact is is greatly appreciated and, and inspiring. And, and I'm hoping that many people who are listening right now are able to see how just one voice can make a difference in your in your city or your town, even being so far away from um, the action per se. Yep. And um, but you know the fight is not over. Um, we not have to let, let's not let these things die out. You know, I know we everyone has their own issues that's going on in the world right now, 
But um, like I said before, it's about humanity, right? It's about us being able to stand together uh, no matter what the cause, no matter who, who we are and, and how we continue to move and care for each other all around the world. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome to hear. It's awesome to understand. And um, I'm really hoping that many of us are able to, to find ways to be proactive in the fight with in, in, with uh, Nigeria as well and stand up with our brothers and sisters over Thank there, too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. And just to piggyback on that, please, people, let us let us remain plugged in. Let us never get to a point where we stop caring. Like Brian said, it doesn't matter if it's happening far away from you or in your local community. And it shouldn't matter that all these things on a macro level are also coinciding with things that are happening in our individual lives on a micro level. We should make a very conscious and intentional effort, like I said, to stay plugged in and to participate and contribute. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too mm. little. From lending your voice to resharing a tweet or, you know, being part of a hashtag. Or share this podcast. Or share this podcast. You know what I mean? Or have that conversation with the lady, you know, at the grocery store just to create that awareness and that education. We are our brother's keepers and our brother is, or sister is another human being that has blood flowing through their veins. And that's all that should matter. So don't be afraid to speak out on whatever platform and to participate and just care and contribute in whatever way, shape or form. Awesome. Thank you again, KG. We really appreciate you being on the on the show, being on Madcasters, people who are making a difference and, and inspiring others to make a difference too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Madcasters. Please leave a positive review on the show if you like today's episode and be sure to follow us on Madcasters at Instagram and also Madcasters on Facebook, where you'll be able to get updates, surveys, and many more surprises. Please go to madcasters.com where you'll be able to access the shows, blogs, and book reviews. Also, spotlights of organizations that you can support and donate to as well. And if you would like to support Madcasters even more, please go to our Patreon page. It's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Madcasters. I'll be giving out a free book monthly to one of our Patreon supporters as well. And there are many more surprises to come for all those who are Patreon supporters. This is the end of our episode, but this is not the last. I promise you, Madcasters, we are about to have a blast. But don't forget, Madcasters, this is the launch pad for you to go mad. Mad.